0: Okay, well, Acts chapter 8, it's page 1101, Uh, Matt Painter's preaching down at 5.02 this morning from this passage, I'm speaking here, just the not traveling this morning, next Sunday I'll be at our other congregation at 5.02 speaking just there, and uh, I think it's Richard here, isn't it, next week? So we're trying to do a little, little bit less... Of both, and uh, so whoever 's preaching is more often just in the one congregation, which personally I prefer we 're in the book of acts we 're looking at uh, dr luke 's 30 year history of spirit empowered mission from the day that Jesus uh, bid his disciples farewell after his resurrection as he returned to his father in heaven and The next 30 years, the story of the Spirit of God being poured out on his church, first in Jerusalem and then that breaking out and going around the world. And uh, the challenge to us again and again as we work through this series is let's do it again. Let's think about what God might do amongst us, what God could do in our church, what God could do in our town, what God might do in the nations of the world over the next 30 years. And the point of the story we've got to is where The gospel is suddenly exploding out of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit poured out on the first disciples gathered in a room in Jerusalem. And uh, the the first chapters of Acts describe this community, this church, which began to build and to grow in Jerusalem. And then suddenly the gospel is propelled out of Jerusalem. Uh, The trigger for that being the martyrdom, the murder of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. But actually the bigger story being God's plan in Acts Chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what happens when Stephen is killed is that the disciples are scattered, and as they go, they carry the good news of Jesus with them. And the story that we're going to be looking at today is the story of Philip. Philip is one of seven men who was chosen by the church to help Serve the church practically to care, especially for a group of widows. Stephen was one, Philip was another. These are two men full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And in the story of Stephen and the story of Philip, we see a a broadening out of the gift and the grace of God that what first the apostles are doing, the 12 apostles in declaring the gospel and praying for the sick and see them healed, we then see Stephen doing and Philip doing and the gift and the grace of God spreads out to the church. So... Hopefully, you're there by now. We're going to pick up from verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, page 1101. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Uh, Philip goes from a hostile place. The reason he leaves Jerusalem is because persecution has broken out against the church. Stephen's been killed, others have been put in prison, and so the believers start to scatter. So he goes from a hostile place, but he doesn't go to what you might think of as a safe place. He goes to another hostile place, which is Samaria. There's a some of the map up, um, there's a Samaria, is just to north of Jerusalem, that's how long it would take you to drive there today, you'd have to wiggle around the West Bank because of current political issues, Uh, Philip might have gone a slightly more direct route, but Samaria was a hostile place, the Samaritans and the Jews were enemies of one another, and that enmity had often in recent history at this time descended into physical violence that attacked one another. So this wasn't a friendly place to go, but Philip goes doing the works of the kingdom of God. He goes declaring the good news of Jesus. He sees people set free from things they're oppressed by, and he prays for the sick, and they get Well, uh, what the apostles have done, Acts chapter 2, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done. Now Philip is doing as well, and he's doing it not on home turf in Jerusalem, but he's doing it in hostile territory in Samaria. And this brings joy to the city, it says. Joy comes to the city of Samaria because of the gospel that Philip brings. And that's the kind of joy we want to see in our town. Everybody lives wanting to pursue happiness. Happiness is a, a big goal in our context, in our culture. What we're looking for, what we really need to see, is people getting happy in God. What our prayer needs to be, what our mission is, to, is to see men and women see the good news about Jesus, see who Jesus is, find them setting, him setting them free, seeing his power at work and joy coming. That's, let that be our prayer. Lord, let there be more joy in Bournemouth and Poole because of the... Effectiveness of the gospel is declared and the signs that follow. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. There's an interesting little interlude in the story of Acts here about this character, this man called Simon. Um, It's focused on him particularly, but the points Luke is making is is a bigger one. The point that Luke is making is is he's, he's posing and kind of answering the question about where do you think true power lies? Where do you recognize true power as being? And in Samaria, this man Simon had attracted attention because he seemed to have power. It's not exactly clear what he was doing. It's not clear exactly what as it's described here, his sorcery meant, but clearly he had some kind of power, some kind of influence over people, and he clearly was pretty secure in his own influence, in his own gift, because as it says, he boasted that he was someone great. Someone went around boasting, I am the man, I'm the real deal. People of Samaria, look at me, follow me. Now, in our context, there are powerful people in the world. There are business leaders and politicians and gangsters and all kinds of people who carry power for different reasons. And there are all kinds of boastful people as well. People who boast about their power, about their abilities, about their skill, about their beauty, about their riches, about who they are. But the claim that Jesus makes, the claim we would make about Jesus is that Jesus is greater. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking about himself and he Says one greater is here, speaking of himself. Now, when Simon the sorcerer described himself as someone great, that was boasting. When Jesus described himself as one who is greater, that wasn't boasting, that was telling gospel truth. And we see that here because Simon had been powerful, he'd been great in Samaria, but one greater than Simon was here. As Philip spoke in the name of Jesus and prayed for people in the name of Jesus. The evidence of Jesus' greatness was made clear, that Jesus was greater in Samaria, just as he was in Jerusalem, just as he is all over the world. Jesus is greater everywhere. And So a question for us to kind of begin with this morning as we look at this passage is to ask that question, who is greatest in your life? And who are you trusting in today? Where is your trust? Who is your trust in the claim This story makes, the claim I'd want to make, is that Jesus is greater. And that if our trust isn't in him, then our trust is misplaced. Verse 14, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You must receive the Holy Spirit. Now this passage has often been debated about and argued over in terms of how we receive the Holy Spirit, how, what the process of receiving the Holy Spirit is. and. Uh, That's an important question, but in many ways it's kind of the wrong question because the main point here, the point which the story makes that Luke tells us is this, you must receive the Holy Spirit. That is the point of the story, you must receive the Holy Spirit. Now, why? Why is that such a big deal? Why is it so important that these Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit? Why is that they've seen the evidence of who Jesus is? Philip has preached, they've responded, they've got baptized, they've seen amazing signs and wonders, and yet something is lacking. And what is lacking is the person of the Holy Spirit. Why is that so important? It's because of what the Holy Spirit gives to us. Elsewhere in Scripture, we learn more about who he is and what he does. The Holy Spirit is a deposit given to us, the guarantee of our faith, that as we know and experience the reality of God's Spirit at work in us, that for us is the guarantee that we are held safe by Christ That our eternity, in him is sure. It's a bit like a, an engagement ring that a woman might put on before her marriage. <coughs> that ring is the, is the guarantee that a marriage is about to happen. To sign and as the Holy Spirit works in us, He is the guarantee of all that will be ours in Christ for all time. He's the one who gives us assurance. Scripture says that it's by the Holy Spirit that we're able to cry out, Abba Father. We're brought into relationship with God, which is not distant and impersonal, but which is close and tender and real. That we do understand God as our loving Heavenly Father. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us assurance to know that. To know that it's not about what we do, our efforts, our striving, our work, but it's all about the grace of God that is given to us. The Holy Spirit gives us that assurance. The Holy Spirit causes us to be fruitful, to demonstrate characteristics which align with what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, enables us to do things which we couldn't otherwise do or sharpens the natural gifts we have so that they're effective in the service of Jesus and his church. And the Holy Spirit is the one who propels us out into mission. Spirit-empowered mission is what it's all about. And so we must receive the Holy Spirit. If If you're lacking in any of these things, if you're lacking in a sense of assurance of faith, if you're lacking in a sense of certainty of who you are as a Christian, if you're lacking in spiritual fruit, if you're lacking in spiritual gifts, if you're lacking in evangelistic zeal, what you need is not an arm around the shoulder or a boot up the pants. What you need is a fresh experience with the Holy Spirit. You need an encounter with the Holy Spirit. If that's you i love to pray for you later. You might receive the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart for i see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin then simon answered pray to the lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me we're quite not quite sure what peter had said would happen to him but if his heart was full of bitterness and captive to sin it probably wasn't going to be good After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. What Luke shows us here is that the Holy Spirit does not come by worldly means. What uh, Simon tries to do is what we human beings so often try to do, which is to get control of the situation. And the way that Simon thinks he can get control of the situation is by giving the apostles some money and then they'll give him the secret key, he's still thinking like a magician, he's thinking like a sorcerer, he's thinking like a businessman, he's thinking like a gangster, he's thinking like a politician. What is the secret source here that means I can have this power? And the way that you normally get hold of the secret source is by paying a bribe, paying some cash, and that's what he tries to do. But you can't manipulate God, you can't control God, and to think you can is dangerous ground. And Peter warns Simon that he's treading on some very dangerous ground because the Holy Spirit is not acquired by a bribe. The Holy Spirit is not acquired by some human trick. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. He's freely given to us to be freely received by us. Do you need to receive the Spirit today? He's God's gift, freely given. Now, following Philip's breakthrough in Samaria and Peter and John coming to help him and praying for the Holy Spirit to be given to the Samaritans. It says that Peter and John then head back towards Jerusalem, but they don't just rush straight back. They take their time and they preach in many Samaritan villages. And this is amazing because think about the hostility between Samaritans and Jews. Once when John had been following Jesus around in his ministry, they passed through Samaria and met some trouble. And John had said to Jesus, Can we call down fire and burn these Samaritan villages to the ground? And Jesus said, No, that's not the way. But the same John, the same John who'd wanted to call fire from heaven and destroy the Samaritans, was now going around preaching the good news about Jesus to the Samaritans. He'd had this extraordinary change of heart because of what had happened to him, because he'd seen Jesus raised from the dead, because he himself had experienced the Holy Spirit poured out into him, because he'd seen what God was doing through Philip. The gospel has changed everything. That's what the gospel does. The gospel changes things, changes hearts, changes attitudes, breaks down barriers. And having punched through this extraordinary barrier of going to Samaria, which is a huge deal, God was, is now about to use Philip to punch through the barrier of mission to the ends of the earth. That's where we're going next, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship And on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now there's lots of, that's unusual about this story. It involves an angel, a eunuch and a queen. Which sounds like the introduction to a particularly bad joke. Um, First, Philip is given instructions by an angel of the Lord. Which isn't an everyday occurrence. I think it happens Because what Philip is about to do is so significant in the story of gospel advance, a spirit-empowered mission. This is a a major moment, and major moments biblically often get announced by angels. An angel appears to tell Philip what's about to happen. And then Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch, and this man had been in Jerusalem to worship, but he would have been doubly an outsider in Jerusalem. First of all, he was not a Jew, he was a Gentile, he was... An Ethiopian, he's from a different ethnic background. He doesn't belong to the people of God, so he's an outsider on that score. And secondly, he's a eunuch. And in Deuteronomy 23, in the Old Testament, Scripture says that those who are eunuchs are not to come into the presence of God. And so this man would have been doubly excluded. He was a eunuch and he was an Ethiopian. He wasn't a Jewish man But nonetheless, he was pursuing God, and he'd been to Jerusalem to worship. And unwittingly, this man is about to become the embodiment of all the prophetic promises of what God wants to do in reaching the nations and the outcasts. And this man wasn't only an Ethiopian and a eunuch, but he was also an important official, an official for the Candake. Now, the way it worked, apparently, in Ethiopian society at this time, was that the king of Ethiopia was venerated as a child of the sun, that the king of the Ethiopians was uh, seen as a godlike figure and he was considered too sacred, too holy to carry out the normal functions of royalty. So those were performed on his behalf by his mum, the Kandaik. The queen mother was the one who actually exercised royal authority in Ethiopia because the king was just too sacred, too set apart, too holy in the way that they understood the world. And so this eunuch as chancellor, as treasurer, he was right at the heart of royal power in Ethiopia. He was an outcast in Jerusalem and being an Ethiopian and a eunuch, but he was right at the center of things in Ethiopia. He was the man who looked after the money. And I think about Philip going up to this chariot to meet this man. He must have felt that he was being thrown into an utterly alien world because Philip's a Jewish boy from Jerusalem, that's his world, that's his context, that's what he knows, and suddenly he's going up to talk with this man who is completely alien to him, comes from a different country a huge distance away, someone who's a eunuch, and that must have felt a bit strange, how do you interact with somebody like that, and and somebody who is from the ends of the earth, Ethiopia, thought of as kind of there be dragons, far away, an alien, distant place, Philip must have felt he was being thrown into something completely alien. But Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the eunuch's reading and he's reading out loud, which is how people often read in the ancient world at least in part because he'd been reading a scroll which had been handwritten and the script is much more difficult to read and so people tended to read it out loud to work out what was being said. But he didn't understand it and Philip asked this, this killer question, do you understand? And it's a bit like a community Bible reading moment, those of us who are doing community Bible reading, maybe this week as we've been reading Ezekiel and Revelation, maybe there have been moments you thought, I do not understand a thing that is written here. and. Uh, how was this man meant to understand what he was reading? Because he was an Ethiopian eunuch. He wasn't a Jewish man who'd been raised and trained and taught and what all this stuff meant. And so he was reading something which he knew was important, but he couldn't grasp exactly what it was about. And you know, it's not wrong to ask if you need something explained to you. And if you're reading your Bible, when you're reading your Bible, often there will be things which are hard to understand. And then it's not wrong to ask, what does this mean? And... uh, Sometimes it takes a little bit of work to discover what it does mean. Verse 32, this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth." The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave order to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. What we see here is the power of the Word of God. Simon the sorcerer wanted to purchase spiritual power, but actually God's power is here freely given. Freely given as the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts, and freely given a gift here in the Word of God. And as Philip explained what the Word of God meant, the Ethiopian received understanding, not just understanding, but he received revelation of who God truly is. He came to see Jesus, and his life was transformed. And the thing about this story, the thing about this book and these collection of books, is the story always points to Jesus. Even those confusing passages you get to in your CBR reading, think what this is what this is is this about? Ultimately it all points to Jesus. The story is all about him and what he is doing. And that's why Philip here, in describing what Philip does, Luke uses the same phrase as he does in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke twenty four, after his resurrection, but when nobody knows that Jesus has been raised from the dead. There's in a story of, of how Jesus appears on a road to a town called Emmaus and walks with some friends of his who don't recognize him, and it says that he began with Moses and all the prophets and explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus began with Moses and the prophets. He opened up the scriptures and said, Look, this is what the story is about. And then at last their eyes were opened and they saw him for who he was. And here the same phrase, beginning with this very passage of scripture. Philip explained how the whole story was about Jesus. And the eunuch's reading Isaiah 53. And as we read this account, I always imagine, I'm sure it must be true, that as Philip began with that passage of scripture, I'm sure he just carried on with the scroll that was in front of him and would have got to Isaiah 56 pretty quickly. And So powerfully because of what is said there about a man like this Ethiopian eunuch. Isaiah 56 says this, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. It's a remarkable promise. It's a promise that those who are foreigners and have no place in the people of God will be welcomed in. It's a promise that those who are eunuchs and are physically incapable of bearing children will be fruitful in the things of God. It's a promise that those who are excluded from the temple because of who they are are going to be brought right within the walls of the temple and there's going to be a memorial stone set up in the temple proclaiming who they are and what God has done in them. It's an amazing promise. And. Imagine the scene as Philip gets from Isaiah 53 to Isaiah 56 and reads his passage and says, I think this is about you. What a moment that must have been. Philip had asked, do you understand? And now the eunuch asks a killer question himself. Why shouldn't I get baptised? That's another great question and of course there's absolutely no reason why he shouldn't get baptised. Why would you get baptised? You get baptised because you know that Jesus has opened your eyes so you can see him. You've suddenly seen who is the greatest and baptism is the sign of that. It's a symbol of that, that you're dying to your old self, you're being raised to new life, you're being cleansed and washed and you're coming up clean. What's to keep me from baptism? Next Sunday at Spirateria, we've got a baptism. We've got this prayer goal. We pray for at least a baptism a month. We need to push through that. Why not a baptism a week? We need to push through that. Why not a baptism a day? Why not, Lord? Why not? Why shouldn't I get baptized? There's no reason why you shouldn't get baptized. If you put your faith in Jesus, know that we would see more people asking that question. What's to keep me from getting baptized? By his baptism, this Ethiopian is now identified as having entered the new covenant that Christ has made by his blood. And then the eunuch continues on his way rejoicing. This is an extraordinary encounter. It kind of gone on for, I guess, maybe an hour, two hours at most. It's kind of a brief encounter, but he goes on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing, And he has reason to rejoice, just as the city of Samaria had reason to rejoice, because he had seen who Jesus was, because the gospel is good news. He went on his way rejoicing, and it says that the Spirit then took Philip away. And that's one of those mysterious phrases in the scripture. What does that mean? Is it that the Spirit kind of literally teleported Philip to another place, or is it simply that... The Spirit said to uh, to Philip, now it's time to go somewhere else. And Philip uh, set off on the road under his own steam. It's not clear. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, Philip went off to continue on his mission. Now, we don't know what happened to the Ethiopian after this. There's nothing else said about him in Scripture. There's a, a tradition in the church that he became a missionary to his own people. And I imagine he did. That was the whole point of reaching the ends of the earth. We don't know. We don't hear anything about Philip again for 20 years. 20 years later, Acts 21, Philip suddenly pops up in the story again. And by that time, he's settled in the town of Caesarea, and he's got four unmarried daughters who prophesy, which is a great thing to have. (laughs) We don't know much more about Philip, we know nothing more about the eunuch, but this moment of encounter between Philip and the eunuch is a pivotal moment in the advance of the gospel, pivotal moment in spirit-empowered mission. Because Ethiopia was the ends of the earth. Now, ancient Ethiopia, we think, probably wasn't quite where we think of as Ethiopia. It's more kind of region of bottom of Egypt, top of Sudan. But a huge distance. Look at the different... Jerusalem to Caesarea, Jerusalem to Gaza, the Gaza Road. This, this man was from the ends of the earth. And so far, the church had just been a few thousand believers in tiny Jerusalem. And now because of Philip's obedience, the gospel has not only gone to a little bit north, up past Caesarea, up to Samaria. Now the gospel has gone all the way into Africa. And actually that's always... Good to remind ourselves as well, those of us as, who are white Europeans, the Gospel went to Africa before it ever went to Europe. The gospel is good news to the end of the world. Now what do we need to do in response to this, to this amazing story? It might be that you need to receive Jesus. Most of us here have received Jesus, but it might be that you haven't yet. It might be that you haven't come to Jesus and recognised him as the greatest as the one in whom you need to put your trust. If that's you, my invitation to you would, why not? In a few minutes' time, we're going to take bread and wine together. This is like baptism. It's another sign, another symbol of, of what we believe about the gospel, that the bread represents the body of Christ, the wine, or in our case, juice, represents his shed blood. And as we come and take the bread and the wine, as I say each week, it's not just going through this a ritual that Christians do. We are coming to Jesus. This is a way in which all of us can respond to Jesus. It's a way for us to step out of our seats and step towards Christ and say, today I want to respond in this way. And today, Lord, I want to know you more like this. And if you've never come to Jesus, if you've never received him, you can receive him at this point. This is a great way to receive Christ, to come forward and in faith say, Jesus, I believe in you. Open my eyes to see you. Take the bread and the wine. Again, we'd love to pray for you. It might be that you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm not much interested today in getting into theological debates about how and when the Holy Spirit is poured out and what that means. What I'm interested in is that each of us has a lived experience the reality of God's Holy Spirit at work amongst us. And so that question that was asked of the Samaritans, have you not received the Spirit yet? It's a question I'd ask of us. And if you need to receive the Spirit today, whether it's for assurance or whether it's for mission or whether it's for fruit, or whether it's for gifts, i would love to pray for you. It might be that you need to receive baptism. Now, Again, most of us here have probably been baptised. We've gone into the water, this sign of who we are, members of a new covenant people, washed, cleansed, died with Christ to our old life, our sin, raised to new life in Christ, hallelujah. But if you haven't been baptised in water, you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be. Uh, biblically speaking, it just makes, it's in, incomprehensible to be an unbaptized believer. It just makes no sense. That was the Ethiopian's question. As soon as he saw who Jesus was, here's some water, why shouldn't I get baptized? That should be your question as well. It might be that you need to receive joy. There was great joy in the city. And the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Might be that you're lacking some joy, some happiness in God. And again, as you come and take the bread and the wine, that's a place to say, Jesus, would you fill me with your joy by the Holy Spirit being at work in me? Again, we'd love to pray for you if you're lacking in joy in God. i gonna be joyful in God. Might be that you need to receive faith for the mission. Actually, you're not evangelistically confident And you need to know the power, empowering of God's Holy Spirit so that you can be bolder in speaking about Jesus. So you can be a little bit more like Philip, alert to the Spirit's leading, obedient to his call, speaking the words of Christ. Or maybe it's that even more than that, you need to somehow step towards the ends of the earth. And Philip did that, he did that by stepping to Samaria, a hostile place. And then he did it by running up to a chariot and engaging this alien man in conversation, an extraordinary thing to do. And it might be that some of us here today need to do that more to step into alien territory, maybe step into territory that feels hostile. And again, you need to know the leading of God and the courage of God to do that. And if that's the case, again, as you take the bread and the wine, ask God to give you courage, to give you boldness, to help you to be obedient to his call. Again, we'd love to pray for you. As you do that, it might be that God literally wants to move some of you to the ends of the earth. sent Ian and Lindsay recently to Glasgow. might feel like it to us down on the south coast, but it's not really the ends of the earth. (laughs) Maybe God wants to send some people to some other places. Places which feel as alien and strange as Ethiopia must have done to Philip. Let's be open to God in that as well. Let's receive from him. Whatever it is we need today, let's come to Jesus and receive. Amen? Amen? Let me pray. band will come back as I'm doing that and then we'll take the bread and the wine and respond and receive. Lord God, I thank you so much for this amazing story, Lord, a lot of story which has got such power and pathos and moments of humor and elements of mystery. It's got it all, Lord, just these this short accounts. It's such an incredible, incredible story. And, well, thank you. You gave it to us in the words of Scripture. Thank you that Scripture is, is powerful. It's your word, powerful, sharp to penetrate, separate even bone and marrow. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that. I pray that... As we have listened, as I've tried to, as, as Philip did, to explain scripture this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would be doing some work in people's hearts here this morning. I pray that you'd be dividing some bone from some marrow. You'd be penetrating some hearts, some souls, some minds, some emotions today, oh God, that uh, the words of scripture would cause eyes to open afresh or maybe for the first time to who you are what it means to be obedient to you and follow you. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive from you today what it is we need to receive. If it's receiving you for the first time, Lord, pray for that. We'd love to see that. If it's receiving more of the Holy Spirit's power, if it's receiving baptism, if it's receiving joy, if it's receiving a French sense of commission and call and confidence to mission, or whatever it is, Lord, I pray that... For my brothers and sisters here today and for, and for me, Lord, that we would receive from you. Thank you that we cannot uh, manipulate you, we can't control you, that you're sovereign, but that you freely pour out your spirit on us, you freely give us the gift of salvation, you freely welcome us in. Lord, that you took a man as alien and as foreign as that Ethiopian eunuch and you brought him, you, that, that scripture in Isaiah 56, which seems to be written just for him, you brought him in. and. that that embodiment of all that you were going to do in the subsequent ages of of people from every corner of the earth being joined into your family, into your new community. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we're grateful that you did that to us. You didn't abandon us here at this end of the earth. You didn't leave us uh, ignorance, but you have enabled us to see who you are and know the joy of your salvation. And I pray that we'd receive that again today and there would be joy in this city as well, King Jesus. In your name we ask it. Amen.